0: Hello and uh, welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, to an episode of the OSINT Bunker podcast. Um, Today is season four, episode four. I'm joined by my co-host OSINT Technical, and this evening we're also joined by our guest CoopShaw. I believe your name is Benjamin, is that correct? Exactly, exactly. Hello. We'll probably be referring to you as Benjamin or or Ben throughout the uh, podcast, um, mm-hmm. just so that we don't stumble over our words um, there's been a lot going on probably I think it's fair to say in the last 48 hours um, obviously we've had a number of developments in Ukraine Russia which we will come to later on in the in the episode. Um, but I think at the moment uh, there's probably a fair amount of focus um, on China on Taiwan, Um, and on the imminent uh, visit by um, U.S. diplomatic officials of various sorts. to,
1: Editor Technical here, just to say that um, I may have waited a week to edit this. So I was on vacation. This is all going to be slightly outdated. I'm going to be jumping in to add little fixes and, you know, my own comments, but just, I'll be back.
0: To Taiwan. Um, I believe at the time of recording, um, the aircraft carrying them is currently on the ground in Hawaii um, and will shortly be getting airborne.
1: Editor technical back here really quickly, just to say that the trip went, you know, as relatively well as it could. The Chinese are sort of freaking out right now with several tests scheduled, you know, rocket firings. Um, they've crossed the median line on the Taiwan Strait a couple of times and, you know, did simulated attacks against Taiwanese high-value targets, um, but but the trip itself, they did not shoot down Pelosi's plane. A lot of their bravado ended up being, you know, standard
0: Chinese bravado. Again, uh, for the final leg of the journey to Taiwan, um, I think we'll just briefly cover that topic, um, if, if that's all right with you guys. Um, China has. Yeah, I would. I would formally. gone. Oh, God.
1: Uh, i would I would just like to start by saying, you know, I'm formally sorry for taking a vacation. It's obvious at this point, it's clear that I've caused this entire problem by 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 deciding to just be offline,
0: yeah, for those wondering, um technical is doing his usual uh, mad uh, sort of maneuver, and he is currently re- joining us in this recording. Um, I believe from the middle of the desert in Arizona on this occasion, um, for those not aware, technical has a habit, uh, with this podcast of being in some very, very unusual locations, not just in the US, but actually around the world, um, when recording episodes. Um, I, 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 I don't know which locations I'm allowed to even discuss it. You've, you've sort of popped up and before, um, I think I think you've been in in Eastern Europe a couple of times, um, Middle East on maybe Eastern Western Europe, all over the US. <laughs> yeah, just... um, I think at the minute you're sat in a park. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. Saying. In 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 my
1: in in my defense, this is the first actual vacation where I haven't done work in like the past two years. So, yeah, I, 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 I I am using that as my defense
0: um but yeah as I, as I was saying um china has taken a very very vocal stance about this u.s visit to taiwan um obviously china over the years has been very very vocal about taiwan anyway um we won't go into the the long and, and complicated history that is uh, china taiwan relations um I, I love that i love that incredibly
1: diplomatic tone you use by saying <laughs> vocal
0: <laughs> yeah it it it's it's one of those things where this is this has been an ongoing issue for a very very long time and uh china has once again sort of perked up and been very very vocal um very verbally uh, aggressive um we've seen sort of the Chinese government's mouthpiece in the international media, the Global Times, has been very, very vocal in the last few days. Um, I've seen uh, tweets by various members of the Global Times saying things to the effect of oh, we'll shoot down any American aircraft entering Taiwan's airspace. Um, oh, it'll mean war if, if, if US diplomats go to Taiwan, and, and, and things like that, which... Needless to say, in, in the current state that the world is in are not exactly helpful comments to be making. Um, not that China cares particularly about whether or not its comments are helpful. Um, I mean, it, it is interesting to you know see China
1: looking at the situation that Russia's currently in in Ukraine and saying, huh, yeah, I, I want that right now. Hmm. It's, it, it is... it is. I mean, of all the times where they, they could be very intensely posturing um it, this is just an odd one uh frankly just due to the current you know geopolitical situation it it's not it, it's not exactly a time where i personally though i don't control a country um would exactly be making these kinds of threats um because i mean china would have to look at the situation in russia um, a, a, and go well it's fairly obvious that we would need to prepare for an operation like this for much longer and, you know, amass the necessary resources to do something like this. Because, you know, China, or the the Republic of China, Taiwan, um, uh, certainly has a more capable military than Ukraine, at least at the moment. And Ukraine has gotten some assets recently, which has definitely made the comparison more interesting. Mm. Um, And, you know, China has to make an amphibious crossing, um, across the Strait of Taiwan, um, to actually, um, to, to make a landing, um, and then fight through a mixture of heavily urban and, uh, a, a very mountainous terrain in order to, to take the country. And, you know, they, they have amassed a, a, a significant quantity of standoff weapons, like their, um, ballistic missiles and, and their various, uh, uh types of cruise missiles you know land bomber launch you know all all those all those assets but i mean at, at the same time taiwan has also spent the last 50 60 years preparing for an operation like that as well um, and i i mean historically the relationship has been a bit more um, uh, adversarial one would say you know uh, during the 1950s 1960s there were you know active incidents um where both sides attempted to shoot each other's planes down um, over the Strait, um, and that that was certainly, uh, I, I would say, definitely more contentious than it was right now. Um, but I don't, and you know, this is obviously my, and I will always say this, unprofessional view. I, I really don't think China is in a position at the moment where they could start something and actually win it they might be able to start something and control the situation because again there's that water border Taiwan will never be able to invade China um, in the way that China would have the capability to invade Taiwan um, so I, 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 they may be able to control the situation if they start something but you don't, I don't necessarily see an end game here where they come out as a victory if things escalate And, you know, obviously we've seen discussions between Biden and Xi. Uh, The situation is complex. China, you know, doesn't necessarily have the capability at the moment to, you know, fully invade Taiwan.
0: Yeah, and I think we've kind of discussed that in previous episodes as well, the fact that as much as China goes on about its long-term intentions to sort of make Taiwan a part of mainland China um, we, we've we've kind of touched on the fact that even with China's enormous military build up and the sheer rate at which they are building warships and tanks and aircraft um, to all intents and purposes they are probably still quite a few years away from being in a position where they're actually ready to turn around and say right okay let's launch this operation um, I think Ultimately, as well, as we've alluded to before, they're going to be looking at what's happened to Russia um, with this invasion of Ukraine, and they'll probably be looking at that and thinking, "Mm, "Okay, let's not rush this. Let's make sure that we are ready before we take those steps. Um, And Taiwan's well aware of this, and and they are undeniably concerned, and rightfully so. Um, And so these visits by US diplomats and, and indeed other diplomats um, are no doubt part of a long term plan uh, by taiwan and allies to sort of enable a better defense when the time comes um obviously that's as a, a a discussion we could potentially have in another episode as to what such a response would be to a, a chinese invasion of taiwan whether they would be the kind of response we've seen in in terms of military equipment and so on being supplied as as has been the case with ukraine or whether in in those circumstances potentially you know forces in in that part of the world might other uh, other forces are, i mean might other uh, get involved uh, in in the situation whether that be the likes of the us and australia and korea and uh, japan and so on
2: yeah i think i think china has to to answer in some way to Pelosi coming to uh, Taiwan. I think we're seeing the, a, a bit of that now with uh, yeah threats to her airplane and stuff like that, but I'm not sure how far they want to go if and when she arrives uh, on the island. And that, what I find interesting, I don't know if you guys saw, but there are videos now being published on Twitter and stuff like that showing what is said to be videos of um, trains going into provinces next to Taiwan Mm. and I think that's not a coincidence if we're seeing videos we never see videos like that and we're seeing them now is because they want to scare people into thinking that uh, they are ready to use the military to respond to um, the policy arriving on the island but I really don't think it's going to go that far but there probably will be a certain certain response. Like, I was thinking maybe like fighter jets crossing the the um, the uh, the median line in, in in the Taiwan Strait or something like that. I guess that that would be a certain...
1: yeah. I'm oh, I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm positive we'll see harassment across the into the Taiwanese ADIZ, which is the air defense identification zone, not. Not Taiwanese airspace. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it, it's it's the area where you know Taiwan will get all you know worked up about Chinese aircraft being there, um, mm-hmm. while Chinese aircraft will stay within the bounds of international law. Um, I'm I'm absolutely sure we'll see that, and I, I will be genuinely be surprised if we don't. um But yeah, I I definitely think that may be a characteristic to this.
0: And we've already seen footage today, haven't we, of. Um, sort of military exercises by China which were announced less than 24 hours ago it should be noted um, and we've seen sort of gunfire and flares being launched over the Taiwan straight by the Chinese um, there was one particular video that was being shared on Twitter earlier that was quite startling with just the, the sheer amount of flares being dropped over the water, machine gun fire out over the sea and um, even just just regular Chinese citizens uh, uh, on sort of a, a coastal road all getting out of their cars and filming this this spectacle going on sort of in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be, I, I, I
2: guess it's meant to be impressive and uh, make people, I mean, it could be us, I mean, uh, people watching, US citizens, Taiwanese people make them scared and uh impressed by I mean um make things uh tense and stuff like that. So uh, uh again, I I I don't really know how they want to respond when she like lands. But yeah.
0: Yeah, so I think the next sort of I mean it's, 24 hours would be interesting cuz that's obviously sort of the time frame we're looking at for her arriving in Taiwan.
2: Yeah. People were saying like a blockade or something like that, but I think that's too, again, too big and could actually hurt China. So I don't see a blockade being a, a good solution for, well, yeah. for China. And
0: obviously, we we need to remember as well that obviously a blockade is a, 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 de- a declaration of war in terms of you know international law. Um, obviously, famous Americans just blockade of cuba in 62 as a quarantine now whether china would be quite so sort of diplomatic with it
1: I, I mean yes there there is an aspect of it, it was a quarantine per se because you know ships were allowed through um, uh, if china were to try to enforce a blockade though it would be basically the equivalent of the u.s or nato trying to enforce a no-fly zone over ukraine um it, you know China would actually have to, again, enforce that blockade. And, and Taiwan isn't a, a non-player in this scenario. They have the assets um, to attack Chinese surface assets.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And again, I don't see China going, risking something like that. Uh, if, if it fails or something like that, it would be very bad for them they need to try something they can really con- control I think that's the most important thing is they need to to, to control the situation they can't like again try a blockade and not manage or something like that it would be terrible for them
0: yeah and and they know at the moment there would be far too many variables for them to control the situation as you say so it's not something that they are necessarily looking to do um mm-hmm. they'll you know, be plenty vocal about it. They, as you say, they will probably fly aircraft across the, uh, across the strait into Taiwan's air defence identification zone um, and they'll probably, you know, make sure that they're visible and that it, they make a massive deal out of it. But ultimately, you know, these comments by, for example, the Global Times saying, oh, you know, we'll, we'll shoot down Nancy Pelosi, it, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, Uh If if something like that were to happen, then um, I I think it's fair to say Ukraine and Russia would not be uh, a topic of, of, you know, major interest to us for much longer because the the consequences of such an action out there in China and Taiwan would be far wider reaching than the war in Ukraine, which in and of itself is, is quite wide reaching.
1: Yeah. and I think it would be irresponsible for us not to talk about you know the impact of Wolf Warrior diplomacy and the specific language that comes from places like the Global Times, um, where they put out these incredibly inflammatory statements that seem aimed at a domestic nationalist audience in China, um, but really alienate them from a, a global market. Um, it, it it really scares people in in those. Uh, both unaligned and other, you know, Western pro-U.S. countries, um, you know that 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 language, those very threatening statements that come from, you know, various Global Times contributors and um, and the Global Times itself, um, I, I, I that diplomacy certainly hurts China's soft power and their ability to project, um, and I think we'll continue to see that happen into the future. Um, where, where it really has hurt those initiatives like the Belt and Road and, and other, you know, th- those, those projections of China's soft power. And I, I think I'll probably say soft power 50 more times in this episode because it's truly what China was supposed to be doing. You know, if you look 2008 Olympics um, was this big presentation. I mean, China's actions to clean up Beijing, to make Beijing look really good for the Olympics for everyone. Um was super important for them, and they took a lot of you know time to to perform that and that was a huge exercise of soft power and then they go and ruin it by having you know state backed um what are effectively propaganda outlets like the Global Times make these statements mm-hmm. um and it's just this this massive amount of wasted effort
2: Global Times doesn't always reflect what the Communist Party does. I think are like a level another level in like nationalists and i mean it's not exactly the same you don't really see the perfect reflection of a- actions taken by the, the the party in what the global times says it's always yeah it's always more um more threats and stuff like that than what is actually done by the, the party i mean maybe maybe wrong but that's how I, I see the global times especially the the main oh,
1: Yes, yeah, certainly, but I still think there's an element of people thinking that the Global Times, because again, they're they they have that you know seal of approval from the party itself. There's there's the idea that the Global Times may be presenting a view that is not necessarily prevalent in the party, but but present, um, it, and, and and a view that has an impact in the party's positions.
2: It probably does actually does have an impact. I think they they they, they probably do influence. Try to influence what the party does, but it's not always work. I guess. Sorry, yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, and that's always that's always something to to remember. And and was, as we saw between the in the conversation between uh, Xi and Biden, um, there is an impact on that. I mean, if you look, I I know some people had mentioned the fact that you know both sides didn't mention there was you know unilateral or or bilateral progress made um in either of the readouts released um there was definitely a a definitive statement that they had talked but no real directionality um in those talks Mm. and and you know there there is that concern that those possibly you know global times only or extreme side of the party only opinions have you know percolated up and and perhaps now reflect something that that may be becoming prevalent in the party mm-hmm. and 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 at this point who knows i mean in the in china right now Xi is the party um it, he has a lot of unilateral control um and, and a lot of what he has done has been um you know ji's own both opinions motives and um And modus operandi it's it's his theories on how china should be and and how things should be um and i i think we'll continue to see that
0: yeah definitely yeah and while while we're on the topic of sort of nations making sort of very vocal and and not necessarily all that diplomatic comments um i think it probably is a good point for us to lead into sort of developments in russia and ukraine in sort of particularly i suppose the last 72 hours 96 hours um there's obviously been um allegations of some pretty horrific war crimes um particularly in the last sort of 72 hours um and we've also seen yeah which
1: which of the several incidents do you want to talk about it's I'm, I'm, i'm wary
0: that we we obviously need to be careful what details we discuss um, on the platform just because of you know the nature of some of these things that have gone on um, but I was kind of gonna start by sort of discussing um, the sort of public statements that have been made by for example the Russian embassy in the United Kingdom um, I don't know if you two saw that tweet um, from the Russian embassy in the UK earlier today um, which has caused an almighty stir um on social media um
1: yes twitter twitter elected not to remove the tweet but has flagged it um as as promoting violence um and 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 sorry this is this is a a a country's embassy who has been flagged by twitter for promoting violence um and yeah I mean, look, the the tweet was, and and let me let me pull up the tweet so I have the the very specific language. Yeah, I was gonna um, say, I'm just pulling up the tweet. It now. was, yeah, it 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 was, and and let me let me quote it directly here. Hashtag as of militants deserve execution, comma, but death not by firing squad, but by hanging, comma, because they're not real soldiers. Period. They deserve a humiliating death. Period a Married couple from Mariupol tell how they were shelled by Ukrainian forces from hashtag install Period. Hashtag stop Nazi Ukraine. Um and then they quoted a video um where uh, uh they were quoting people saying residents of Mariupol, the Azov militants deserve execution. Um and this is this was produced and it it looks like it was both produced and released by Russian state sources. Hmm. Um and then of course both both quoted and um and and endorsed by the russian embassy in the uk um so it it's it, it it's very um i i don't think there's much ambiguity in in what they're saying there yeah uh, but just just i mean directly absolutely. endorsing war crimes
2: yeah
0: just to be absolutely <laughs> clear what they are calling for there in that tweet is the execution of ukrainian prisoners of war now, for those of you not perhaps so familiar with uh, the rules of war, otherwise known as the Geneva Convention, um, executing prisoners of war is one of the big no-no's of the Geneva Convention. Um, it's with the use of chemical weapons, for example, which, of course, Russia has a track record of, uh, needless to say, with Salisbury not that many years ago now um, and various other locations. Yeah. Um, but
1: it's it's not just executing them but purposely saying they want to execute them in a humiliating manner which yeah. is there are legitimately layers of war crime like in this statement yeah. it, it's just it's uh, absolutely shocking and as i said in a tweet it, it reveals really uh, of where these motivations come from obviously this was okayed um at the russian state level um and and indicates that that a lot of these crimes that they're committing are are premeditated and endorsed by the state. this 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 really it's hard to draw this difference between Russia, the state committing the crimes, and maybe individual units or individual soldiers committing the crimes. there There really is the 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 confirmation here that these crimes are being committed at the state level it, it, if not directly commanded, then you know, implicitly endorsed. um. And I know, you know, people try to draw the community, oh, America did XYZ war crime. Well, most most of the people who did those war crimes are in prison or, you know, or or some level of accountability was had. Obviously, there are plenty of cases where the proper amount of accountability was not had, you know, proper channel or or proper consequences were not, you know, dealt out. But there was... At least a clear sense that the state did not endorse these crimes, whereas what's happening in U- Ukraine right now is a pretty ir- clear indication of support at the state level. Um, and I, I there there are very few countries that, you know, ha- have done that.
2: I must say, I never saw something similar. It's the first time I see a government like publicly saying something like that, I find it you know, pretty shocking. I think this,
1: yeah, this, I I I yeah.
2: And this brings us, I think, to what happened in this prison in uh, occupied Donetsk, hmm. I guess, where they claim Ukrainians shelled the prison and killed fifty uh fifty of the the I mean fifty Ukrainian prisoners. I mean you can't you can't say something like that. I mean hours before your embassy publishes a. tweet like that. I mean, that's my own opinion, of course, but... I mean, yeah.
1: I mean, it's... Again, their their motivations are pretty clear. Like, I I, I don't... Anyone at this point who attempts to argue in bad faith uh, about war crimes like this I mean, should not be taken seriously. I just... I, I don't think you can draw any equivalence between perceived or real crimes committed by the Ukrainians with what the Russians are doing at this point. Um I I I genuinely believe that anyone who, you know, engages in that whataboutism isn't, you know, it's just it's they're not engaging in good faith. There 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 is no attempt at a debate there. They're just it's impossible. I yeah, I think that's I think that's what <laughs> we have to say on the matter. I mean it's just I just I I again I, I i think i can speak for all of us when we say that we're genuinely shocked yeah
0: I i think we've seen over the course of this conflict and obviously where you know this podcast has covered a number of conflicts over the last sort of two years um we've seen a lot of pretty horrific scenes we've heard a lot of horrific stories um You know you you do get to a point where a lot of these things don't don't really have much of an effect on you you kind of become hard to them but I think the stories that we've sort of seen coming out of Russia and Ukraine particularly the last 24 48 hours um, they have sort of you know knocked us a bit they have left us quite shocked um, quite disgusted Um, uh, and uh, as you say you know we're talking serious war crimes here Um, I know pretty much day one of the war, um, the international community began setting up the war crimes convention for, you know in preparation for the events that would unfold. Um, and I, I certainly do not envy the people working on that team right now who are having to inevitably pour through all this new footage, all this new information that's coming through um, of all these atrocities that are being committed. Um, it's you know it's horrific enough as it is to be hearing about it. It's it's no doubt far worse to have to be investigating it. Um, and unfortunately, as as one journalist has put it, you know the the mask, if there ever really was a mask on the Russian government's face, is well and truly off now. You know that there is no that there is no doubt as to what their intentions are. Um, there is no doubt as to the you know, the, the, the full evil of the regime and its intent against the Ukrainian people. Um and I I fear we are going to see examples of these atrocities become more and more frequent in in the weeks and months ahead.
2: Yep. Yeah at the same time they still publish videos showing that ukrainians and russians are brothers and stuff like that i mean yeah very odd i mean i'm not surprised
0: uh, in one way sadly yeah and i I think as well while, while we're just discussing ukraine and russia um we had the interesting situation um I think it was was it yesterday or day before yesterday. Um, Russian Telegram channels began circulating a map. Um, now, I I will full disclosure here and now we do not know how accurate this map is. Um, it may very well just be some sort of, you know, fantasy dreamed up by a very pro Russia group. Um, but this map was entitled decolonization of Europe. Um, for those of you who follow me on Twitter you will have seen I, I did tweet the English translation version of that map um, along with sort of a, a, a bit of a joke comment about it. Um, the fact that it, it envisions Russia uh, taking over the whole of Europe and decolonizing it from um, its current sort of nation-state uh, layout Um, the sort of notable examples being that Portugal becomes uh, an offshoot of Brazil Um, the United Kingdom is split into six or seven chunks um, including uh, an emirate of London Um, and as much as I I do sort of just I I take it with a bucket of salt and assume it is just a bit of a joke um, Russia has been very very clear in very public comments over the last few months that yes this special special military operation is going on in Ukraine but it's not necessarily just planning to restrict itself to Ukraine um, I know we've sort of had concerns about the I'm going to pronounce this wrong so I apologize in advance but the Transnistria region of I believe it's Moldova um, that has been sort of a, a, an area of Europe that has been very much in in Russian sights. Um, whether or not that extends further, I know Russia has made threats towards several Eastern European countries in the last few months. I know that today um, Russia has cut off the gas supply to Latvia um, as part of its ongoing sort of proxy war against NATO. Um, I, I I do. As I say, I, I take this map with a, a bucket of salt, but, you know, far be it from me to say that it's impossible, um, especially in light of everything we've seen, you know, in, in Ukraine in the last sort of five, six months, and indeed in the wider world in the last year and a half, um, you know, we, we were sat here, you know, probably this time last year, looking at Afghanistan and thinking, yeah, something might happen. And then, of course, a month later, it all kicked off. Um, so far be it from me to say that Russia is not capable of, you know, trying, at the very least, to enact the uh, decolonisation of Europe as described by this map. But um, I, I, I certainly uh, I, I, can't see it happening with the current state of the Russian military, um, which, you know, I mean, I, I think at this point they are rapidly approaching 100,000 casualties or, or, or some, some ridiculously high number of that sort?
1: Yeah, there was a, a, a U.S. congressional briefing, apparently, um, where the U.S. intelligence community said Russia had sustained about 75,000 casualties um, in Ukraine so far. Um, and based, based on reporting now from the Ukrainian government, um, the Ukrainians have brought down their daily casualty figures to... Um, Either to be, either in line with the Russians' casualty figures day by day, um, or or lower than it, um, which which is definitely interesting to see, um, if the Ukrainians are attriting at a lower rate um, than the the current Russian. Um, I think there are various words you could use to describe it, but I'll just say bad experience um, in Ukraine.
2: And they're also losing, I mean, I I, I I, don't know if you guys saw it, but I published a um, satellite image of uh, a Soviet uh, storage site being, um, I mean, vehicles are being brought out of storage in Siberia. Yeah, I and see. I think this is another another sign that Russia is doing very poorly in, in Ukraine currently. I mean they're losing equipment, people, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's basically confirmed at this point that pretty much every frontline Russian unit out severe losses um, in Ukraine or or has had um a, a troops stolen to go to Ukraine.
2: And we're seeing it now in like uh, um the eastern part of Ukraine, they're using like um, Chechen uh, fighters and stuff. It, it seems like it's there's like more of volunteer units than actual russian soldiers fighting currently and I, again that's another sign that things are not going perfectly as planned
0: yeah and ultimately that comes down to the fact that they've had uh, as technical says the sort of 75,000 plus casualties um <laughs> russia has lost a substantial part of its professionally trained military at this stage I think at this stage, maybe we'll just briefly talk, um, about Iraq, um, and it is kind of difficult, actually, because I was hoping that Technical would be, uh, sort of able to help me out with this, um.
1: Oh, man, uh, Editor Technical here to say that, um, the situation is complex, uh, that's what I would have said during the episode, um. For lack of a better term, and I know that's kind of my catchphrase because I don't like, you know, getting myself into a corner, um, Satyr and his followers kind of come from the school of protesting as a way to create change. And I know I probably should consult other people before I make these definitive statements, but, again, Satyr is the anti Iranian sort of candidate the Iranians have a lot of armed control of Iraq right now and you know his supporters see this protest as really the only solid option to you know move forward
0: Iraq has obviously been a, a topic we've we've discussed a number of times on the podcast over the last sort of 18 months um it's a very very volatile region of the world um it features very very keenly in the news uh, for us at least um on you know various occasions um the last sort of week i haven't really noticed an awful lot going on in iraq and then all of a sudden this morning um i was getting pinged left right and center with people saying oh
1: editor technical back again it's like one in the freaking morning here so i'm trying to go quickly um but in effect this is a continuation of the uh 2021 elections um that is basically deepened into this political crisis um satter pretty much won um in in 2021 he sort of was able to coalesce this amount of control um uh earlier this year uh the there was sort of this chaotic parliamentary session um uh, the senior interim parliament speaker uh, uh, Mashadani uh, uh, fell ill and, and actually like ended up going to the hospital and it, it was honestly this this massive chaotic um, uh, 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 just series of events that basically resulted in no one having actual control um, but technically Sadr had like the mandate of the people so he was able and still is able to sort of run around and say that he's the current leader even though he isn't um. So, in effect, uh, no government's really been formed. Uh, 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 uh there, there is really no um, uh uh, 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 real center of power right now, and it's it's turning into this a uh, big struggle between uh, the Iranian-backed parties and the satirists, but. What happened in uh, June was that uh, basically all his members who had won, 73 of them, um, actually stepped down to protest what was happening. Um, now, they were actually replaced with pro-Iranian uh, members of parliament, which has uh, uh, turned or, or given the Iranian factions this um, or pro-Iranian factions this this. Advantage This lead where they're actually looking like they're going to be able to put together a ruling coalition um, with enough seats. Um, now, the problem with that is, of course, Setter's uh, supporters believe that, you know, he won the largest portion of the election. He should be in charge of the government. Um, and it, it's it's sort of getting into this deepening political crisis. Um, where his supporters, you know, they believe they have the mandate. So they've um, they broke into the green zone. They're camping out in the parliament right now. um, And and that's currently where we are. Satter actually went out um, a few days ago. Um, This is from me talking on the the 7th of August and and actually called for new snap elections. Um, But I I, I don't think that's highly likely as the um, the Iranian factions look like they have a chance to actually um, secure uh, power. Or or secure an actual
0: government? You know, are you seeing what's going on in Iraq? Um, I'm no expert, so I won't go into too much detail, but um, from what I've been told, um, a significant protest took place today in Baghdad. Um, This protest group made their way to the Green Zone, um, which obviously the Green Zone is famous for being home to... A large portion of the foreign embassies to Iraq. Um, it's notable obviously for being where the US Embassy is, which um, throughout last year we were regularly seeing rocket attacks against the Green Zone uh, aimed at the US Embassy. Um, today, from what I can tell, the this protest group have made their way to the Green Zone. Um, they have managed to overwhelm the uh, iraqi riot police stationed around the outside of the green zone Um, they've ended up managing to break through uh, from several directions um, the sort of outer wall of the green zone um, and have made their way in and last i heard we were talking in excess of 50 casualties across both protesters and the local security forces Um, Live ammunition had apparently been fired and and there had been exchanges of fire between the two sides. Um, But as of this evening, I think things had relatively calmed down um, to the point where protesters were apparently inside uh, the Iraqi parliament building um, cooking themselves dinner. Um, I don't know if technicals in a position to sort of discuss more than that. See your earlier statement. I shall take that as a no. no. <laughs> um Yeah, so obviously Iraq might well be a, a uh, location to keep an eye on um, in the coming days. Um, we don't really know what, what on earth is really going on there. Um, it's, it's, you know, as I say, as usual, it is a little bit of a mess out there at the minute. Yeah, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we will have a guest on next episode who will hopefully be able to give us a much more, you know, uh, detailed uh, roundup of Iraq. I know uh, Ben's sort of area of expertise is, is is about as far from Iraq as you can get. Um, exactly. Sort of same with me, really. I, I, it's not an area of the world I'm overly focused on these days, but um, yeah, it, it would be an area to to keep an eye on, and obviously with everything else that's been going on in. You know, China, Taiwan and, and, and Ukraine, Russia, um, the, the, the world is is showing once again that, you know, we are very much returning to sort of an, a pre-pandemic normal of volatility. Um,
2: yeah, that's what I was going to say. It feels like uh, 2019, something like that, you know, when stuff were heating up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We obviously, um, I, I wasn't on uh, last episode, but obviously we had this uh, major incident in Japan um, the other week, where uh, former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was assassinated as well, um, and obviously that that was something. I, I believe we had back in twenty nineteen, we had the assassination of um, Iran's General Soleimani, which kind of sparked off a whole, you know, a whole year of just utter madness in the Middle East and so on um things obviously in japan haven't really sort of kicked off as such um but no doubt the you know that that incident is also having an effect on sort of the wider asian sort of uh, diplomatic situation as well um but yeah uh, i don't really think there's an awful lot more we can talk about this week um yeah i think um we shall go into a quick roundup of the news. Um, so there's not an awful lot of uh, sort of news stories we're going to cover this week, but um, just a few brief mentions. Um, the Royal Navy has uh, officially welcomed into service uh, an experimental vessel with hull number X one um, The vessel is of, I believe, it's Dutch build. Um, and is intended to be used as an experimental vessel for various sort of tests and, and self or self self driving technologies, so to speak, for ships. Um, the Royal Navy has been making quite a lot of fanfare about this new vessel, um, which arrived in Plymouth earlier this week. Um, so it will be interesting in the next few weeks and months to see uh, what they actually do with that ship. Um, A number of fast-jet types across the world have faced grounding this week. Um, Towards the start of this week we had a story that broke in the UK uh, regarding both the Eurofighter Typhoon and the BAE Systems Hawk jets um, where both types were grounded uh, temporarily due to a technical issue with the ejector seats. Um, No further details were really provided at the time, um, and the Hawk jets were very quickly allowed to fly again with the typhoons following suit a few days later. Um, It was notable that the German Air Force also grounded their typhoons around about the same time, again citing an an ejector seat issue. Um, As I understand it now, um, the United States has also um, now sort of flagged an issue with ejector seats in several types of their jets. I believe the the Hornet, Super Hornet, uh, F-35 and a couple of other types are among the models that have been sort of either grounded or partially grounded due to these issues. Um, we do, thanks to the Americans, have a little bit more information now about the issue. Um, all of the types of uh, aircraft involved in these groundings are apparently use Uh, various models of Martin Baker ejection seats, Um, Martin Baker obviously being a world leader in the production and maintenance of uh, military ejector seats. Um, As I understand it, there was um, some uh, remark uh, about the American uh, problem that was identified, something to do with a cartridge Uh, in the ejection seats that was identified as the issue. Um, A significant number of the F-35s operated by the United States military have been grounded as a result of this. Um, I'm told that it's also affecting um, aircraft including the F-18s as I've already mentioned, uh, T-45 goshawks which are obviously the American version of the BAE Hawk uh, jet trainer. Um, And it's not, at this moment in time, known how long the uh, problem will persist for. Um, But obviously that is a fairly major issue that it's wiping out a significant portion of, you know, American fast jet fleets with this issue. And to round it up, uh, Brazil has taken delivery of their first Airbus A330 multi-role tanker transport. Um, Brazil is is one of several countries now worldwide operating the type um, and we know that there are a number of uh, additional airframes due for delivery in the next sort of 12 to 18 months Um, While we're on the topic of South America uh, Chile has also taken receipt of former UK RAF E3 Wedgetail aircraft Um, The RAF sold the airframes to Chile uh, not too long ago, and, and Chile seems intent on putting these airframes into operational service. Um, so those aircraft touched down in Chile uh, earlier this week. And I think that's probably going to be it for us. So, uh, Ben, it's been a pleasure having you on, mate. Thanks for having me. Um, it was a pleasure. I do apologise to all our listeners on behalf of uh, technical and um his uh, various technical issues. Hopefully I will be able to convince him to actually record an episode from a sort of a sensible location. Next time round.
1: I am pleased to announce that I will be hosting the next episode from Antarctica.
0: Um, So that we don't have him rubber banding quite so much, Um, but he's stubborn. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, Don't forget that you can listen to the podcast on both YouTube and Spotify. Um, We're aware that those are sort of the main two platforms you guys are listening to us on. Um, But you can also download the episode for free from the RSS website um, link to which uh, we will post on our Twitter and uh, various other social media links. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, This has been the Ocean Bunker podcast, Season 4, Episode 4. And we will hopefully catch you all again in two weeks' time.